Hello, everyone, and welcome to Christian's Curious Conversations, a podcast where I, the titular Christian Scrocco, talk about various topics that are interesting to me specifically, ranging from psychological thought processes to various confusing studies. Anything that is interesting and a little hard to understand piques my interest. Today, I'll be joined by some fellow curious competitors in the field of consulting. First, we have Nicole Goodman, a creative writing major here at ASU. Say hello. Hi. I will also be joined by Matthew Novak, an accounting major here at ASU. Also say hello. Hello. Now, onto the actual business that you listeners came here for, the five stages of grief. Nearly everyone has heard of them, and most people claim they get the concept, but is that really the case? Think for a moment, and don't actually say anything. Can you name off the five stages right now and understand the meaning behind each stage? Don't, don't wave your hand at me. <laughs> Better yet, do you know their history and how they're used today? I bet you don't. If, you, mm-hmm. if your answer was no to any of those questions, mm-hmm. and I hope it was because then this podcast would be useless, then I'm here, your savior, to shred, shed some light on this fascinating topic. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. The history. All right, guys. Are you ready for a history lesson? This is the most fun part. Yes, sir. To all begin right. the discussion, that was terrible. We should start all the way at the beginning of man. No, we're not going that far. When they were first developed, these five stages. The five stages of grief took their commonly understood form in the book On Death and Dying, written by the Swiss American psychiatrist, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler Ross. In 1969. How nice. Dr. Ross was investigating how people are diagnosed with terminal illnesses react to their own mortality. So, you know, people who are dying of cancer, how do they react to the fact that they're dying? She noted that people often fell into five distinct categories. Five. And how they handled their grief. And she noted them as such. Guys, these are the five stages. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I'm sure we've all heard of these things before, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, is their discovery being made about the terminally ill slightly surprising to any of you? Does that sound a little off? Sounds a little bit weird. Yeah. It should seem a little bit weird because the five stages used today are often for people who experience catastrophic events. And it's usually from the outside. So if someone else dies or you lose your job and then you're like how's that going to affect me this is your own intrinsic feelings very interesting it's changed a little bit but that's just how it is these modern days it just changes that's life now these five stages were described in depth within the book far more detailed than i'm going to go into here it's like 50 pages per stage and that's i'm not going to read that i ain't reading all that But here are the commonly understood explanations for each. Denial. (coughs) We've all denied something in our life. The refusal to accept the cause of the grief. A person will simply ignore their trauma and act like nothing happened. They may even still have hallucinations of their point of grief. So like someone dies and they still like hear their voice. What someone's like saying. It's like schizophrenia, right? The second stage. Anger person will lash out at the cause of grief whenever the subject is mentioned, right? Anger could be towards people, themselves, or even towards the cause of grief. So if someone's dead, 
you either get mad at people around you, you get mad at yourself, or you get mad at the dead person, which that's pretty messed up, right? right? Yeah, it is messed up. Can't believe it. <laughs> Third stage, bargaining. A person will begin to plead and find a way to fix their grief. They may look better to themselves if they feel like that they are reaching a level of forgiveness, but they may also plead to higher powers. This is where like religion comes in, where people start pleading with God to get over their guilt. It's very true. Everyone here, very religious individuals. That's very true. It's a Sunday. We all went to church right before this. Immune, I lie. Depression is the fourth one. A person will go into a deep and unending sadness or despair over the grief. They will have a mental and physical shutdown. It goes that far. This could last anywhere from a few days to the rest of their lives if gone untreated. You're going to burn yourself. Five. Acceptance. Okay. This is the good one. This is what everyone wants. A person will make amends with their grief and accepts their unfortunate circumstances. Often the final stage due to the fact that once they reach this finality and peace of mind, they often don't feel grief anymore, but it is still very common to fall back into the stages. And this is something we will see a lot in the five stages of grief is that people will fall back into other stages or they will fall backwards or forwards. It's confusing. Now, here's something. You always notice how for all the five stages of grief, they're always described in that order, Mm -hmm. right? That's because it's oftenly believed that you have to go through each stage in order. Like you have to go from denial to anger to bargaining. You go through all of them until you get to acceptance and then you're done. But that's not true at all. That's not what the doctor meant at all. She just said that these are things that happen to people. Because people can jump between stages. They can jump to a stage. Like someone could die immediately to depression. That's a very common thing. It's not like, oh, you have to go to denial and anger. Some people just jump around. Some people get to depression. Then they jump back to anger. Then they jump up to acceptance. It's a whole like monkey bar situation. You can jump from one to the other. So question then. Yes. Can you experience only one to two? Yeah, it's very possible. Like some people, when people die, mm-hmm. they just get over it immediately. Right to acceptance. Other people, you know, they die. They go to denial. This person's not dead. And then someone gives them the talk like, buddy, your friend's dead. All right. I feel sad for you, but that's it. And then you're like, okay. And they get to acceptance. So it's more so like every possible situation and not just the current one. Yeah. It's just like, these are five possible stages you could fall into. You could jump between any of them. You can only get to one or two. You could jump to one at the end. It's just categories more than actual stages. It's actually a weird way to describe it using stages. So much like any other scientific theories, it has its criticisms. In the article, It's Time to Let the Five Stages of Grief Die, the author claims that there's a multitude of reasons that this actually doesn't happen. These five stages are inaccurate to life. Because when when the doctor was researching it, she was just interviewing the mentally ill and the terminally ill, right? She wasn't actually doing a scientific experimental study, which was a bit different than normal scientific studies. Now, additionally, in the book... The Seven Stages of Grieving, which was written by Kuimba Jadara, written in 2002, is, is, is a take from the Australian indigenous perspective, so the people, the indigenous people of Australia. And she includes two additional stages. Shock, which is what happens immediately after you hear of this grieving thing, right? And then reconstruction, which takes place right before acceptance, where you reconstruct your mindset about the situation. 
These aren't as widely accepted as the five stages, as we will see. There's not many examples of the seven stages in media, but the, it's possible that the five stages of grief are not as accurate as we all think, right? I've never even heard of them, yeah. Exactly. Who knows? But now, ending on that note, that the fact that the five stages quite possibly could not be accurate and we shouldn't be listening, we're going to ignore that. And we're going to jump into pieces of media that include the five stages of grief. Now, a very common way that people experience these five stages, besides using it themselves, is through media, like games, books, TV shows, movies, anything where it can be used to characterize the grief in a very simple way that people can easily understand. <laughs> now, bad news, guys. There's going to be spoilers. A lot of spoilers for a lot of stuff. So if you hear something you're interested in, leave the room right now. I'm not. You, you have to stay. You don't have a choice. No. Listeners, they can do what they want. So we're going to begin with one of the most blatant and I think well-executed examples of the five stages of grief in media, Amori, which is an indie oh, game developed by Omocat in 2020. To sum up the story, it features a group of friends as they all deal with the tragic loss of the main character's sister named Mari. And the way they deal with all their grief is very similar to the five stages. Like very, very, it's like ingrained into it. More specifically, this is the spoiler, Sonny accidentally killed Mari by pushing her down the staircase, and then he used his friend Basil to help cover it up. These two people will become important in a second. So, Sonny, which is the main character of the game, symbolizes denial as he creates an entire world where nothing bad ever happens. Mari's not dead, all of his friends aren't affected by it, and they're all just back to their usual selves. Aubrey, which is a once cheerful and now savage teenager is anger as she takes out all of her anger on the people around her. She gets very angry at her situation and she goes through it by bullying people with her baseball bat, right? Very rude of her. Mm -hmm. Now, next up, we have Basil, which represents bargaining because he is constantly looking to Sonny for any form of affection and forgiveness for what they did, which is his form of getting over her death because she he feels very guilty about this. Sonny does too to some extent, but Basil's the one that actually has bargaining as the main component. Hero, which is the eldest member of the group and the former lover to Mari, is depression. As after he learns about her death, he enters a depressive state where he does nothing for like a whole year. He just sleeps and eats. He doesn't cook. He doesn't go to school. He's just the saddest one. It's so sad watching him go through these. Depression, terrible thing. Am I right, guys? Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> now, Kel, who is the positive and energetic member of the group, most positive, immediately jumps to acceptance, and he gets over her death pretty good. It's not like an acceptance where he ignores it happens. It's more of an acceptance where he accepts that she's dead, and they all need to move on with their lives. And then he uses that acceptance to help everyone else get over their forms of grief. Good guy, right? This yeah, is like These yeah. are like 16-year-olds, by the way. Wow. These are like actual children. These are not adults. It's young adults. Yes. And now, in the best ending to the game, everyone reaches acceptance. Everyone comes to accept that Mari's dead and they're all having a great time over her death. By that, I mean, they're not sad anymore, which is really all you can hope for. Now, this is my favorite example, personally, because it's very clear that the creator mapped each character to a stage of grief because it, it lines up perfectly. There's five characters, five stages of grief. They all fall into one of them. Just makes sense, right? Yeah. So that's it for Mori. Fantastic game. Check it out. We're going to move on to another example, which I think beautifully illustrates it which is from one of my favorite pieces of media of all time, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. 
specifically the part Vento Oreo or Golden Wind, which was written by Hirohiko Araki from 1995 to 1999. A lot of writing for this one thing, right? So... The story consists of a group of mafia members on a journey to traveling across Italy to track this one individual. The stages come in when one of the group members, Abacchio, so sad, he dies. Real rough death. And everyone has to grieve over this death because they find his dead body. One of the characters, Narancia, he specifically experiences all five stages of grief in a very rapid fashion. So first... He denies the fact that Abakio is actually dead when he goes up to him and everyone begins to walk away. And he's like, guys, he's going to get up any second now, denying that he's actually dead. Then he becomes enraged and claims that if Abakio's killer shows up their face, he will kill them right there and then. Very angry, quick to anger. Then this is all happening over the span of about a minute. He pleads with the leader of their squad to at least bury Abakio's body because he's just leaving it there. Because they don't have time to bury him. They don't have time for grieving because they have a mission to do. But that never happens, actually. It's kind of sad. <laughs> then he tries to plead with his friends. And he goes up to all of them and he pleads and he says, Guys, please, we need to do something. And he falls face first onto the ground and starts crying. He is like bawling his eyes out. It's super sad. And then after a pep talk from everyone and a revelation that Abakio's death wasn't for nothing with some story elements in there. He, Narancia accepts that his friend is dead and that they need to move on and avenge his death and carry on the mission. So this whole thing, over a minute, it's very quick. Normally the five stages of grief take a long period of time to get through, but his is just a minute. It's just very clear that the author wanted to show that these people are dying and this is how they deal with their grief. And it's a very quick way to pick up the symbolism for the reader. Uh, an additional part, this piece of media is a manga written by a Japanese author, which shows that the five stages of grief are not only a Western or a United States kind of thought process. It's a global thought process about dealing with death. Just like before, we talked about the seven stages of grief with the uh, Australian indigenous people. It's a wide thing that people experience all the time. Uh, the five stages are just like the most simplified form. Now, for my final example... I like to throw in a game that's very near and dear to my heart, which is Fallout New Vegas, a game made by Obsidian. It, it, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic desert uh, in the Mojave, which is in Nevada. And it explores many complicated themes in various thought-provoking situations. One of these situations comes from the DLC Dead Money. Very fitting name which sees the protagonist and a group of other people searching for great wealth that is said to be hidden in the vault of the Sierra Madre Casino. They're after money, right? We love money. Yeah, dead money. Exactly. The five stages of grief come in when the character, the father Elijah, who is a technical genius and is basically a mastermind of this heist, uh, he is trapped inside the vault with all the money because it was actually a trap all along. You're supposed to go in there. The whole theme of the DLC is that greed is bad. So the greedy guy goes in to get all the money and he's trapped in there and he starts dying because he's losing oxygen, right? So as he goes through this, he goes through every five stages of grief. And similar to Narancha, actually, from the last one, he goes through each one in order, which, you know, not very similar to the actual study, of course. So 
Here's some quotes to go through each of them. For denial, he says, this entire structure is mine to command. Security, weapons, all this technology is mine. He doesn't care that he's trapped in this vault. He's dying because he's like, I don't care. It's not happening. I can escape anytime I want. Then he goes to anger when he threatens the protagonist with, that cold hand on your throat is mine. It always was. He's going to kill him. Too bad he's trapped in the vault. Bargaining. He starts bargaining with the main character. He says, I have other weapons, other technology I can share with you. Which, terrible, right? He's trying to buy his way out of this situation. Horrible. Then there's depression where he starts losing oxygen. He's like, no way out. It can't end like this where he dies. But he doesn't die yet because he has one final parting words over radio where he says, when you die, I'll be waiting here at the Sierra Madre. Always waiting. He accepted his death, but he placed like a curse on the... It doesn't actually happen. He's just like cursing them from his grave. Yeah. No, it doesn't work out for him. So what I find particularly interesting about this one is that it relates to Dr. Ross's original intention with the five stages of grief because he's dealing with his own mortality. Him suffocating in this vault is very similar to someone dying of a terminal illness and he's dealing with it with himself while these other examples are dealing with someone else's death. So it's interesting that it harkens back to the original purpose of the five stages of grief, dealing with your own death rather than someone else's. Now, unfortunately, guys, I would like examples from you two, but I think we are running out of time because I don't want to make this too long and annoying and boring to listen to. So we're going to have some fun here mm-hmm. by just closing it right now because I don't want to do this anymore. Right. So with that said, we have run out of time. Unfortunately, the discussion to five stages of grief was fascinating. It wasn't much of a discussion. It was more of a lecture, but it's fine. No, it's fine. It was, great it was, a, it was interesting <laughs> yeah. for us, at least. See, it's yeah, a big I thinker. We are all the thinkers. And it really opens up a, sm- a small window into the social power that some phenomena have in life. The history itself is interesting, seeing as it has changed over time to how we deal with it, which is weird. Things change all the time. But a phenomena changing completely for purpose, that's new. Now, I would like to once again thank my guests here, Nicole and Matthew, for their evocative and thoughtful commentary. Very evocative and thoughtful. Yeah, thanks for having us very, on. Very, yeah. sh- 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 very, very good. No, it's fine. We just ran out of time. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. It's all timing. It's about being prepared. I could have talked about this for like three hours, really, if I wanted to. <laughs> I love talking. Arguably, of course. Big talking. Big. So, thank you all. Thank yeah. you for having us. Sorry we well. didn't do too much, but it is what it is. It's a whole mm-hmm. thinker. I'd like to thank all my listeners for tuning in, including you two. Thank Yay. you, guys. Now, this has been Christian. For Christian's Curious Conversations, I bid thee farewell. Goodbye, my beautiful listeners.